Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Prepare yourself for the only talk radio show you'll want to turn up. Crank this thing. Sirius XM Pandora presents the place where your hard rock and metal voice can still be heard. You bet you Unfiltered, uncensored, say whatever you want. Hit the record button. Anything can happen, you know. I know that ain't nobody out there came to be mellow tonight, now did you? I say, I say there ain't nobody. I say there ain't nobody not out there that even wants to be a little bit mellow. Now is there? Anybody wants to get mellow, you can turn around and get the fuck out of here, all right? This is the Trunk Nation Podcast with host A. Trunk. Hey everybody, it's Eddie Trunk and welcome to another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, which is new every Thursday, anywhere you get your podcast. Thank you for subscribing. Be sure to do so, so you do not miss an episode and miss an interview with any of your favorite rock artists. That's what we bring to you every week on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. And as I tell you every week, the interviews you hear originated on my Sirius XM radio show, which is called Trunk Nation, and you can hear live Monday through Friday. 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Faction Talk. That's Sirius XM Channel 103. Or listen anytime to anything on the Sirius XM app. Past interviews, past shows, audio, video, more. Just go to the Sirius XM app, put Trunk Nation in the search. Everything will come up. If you only listen to this podcast and you can subscribe to Sirius XM, you're only getting a tiny, tiny fraction of of what I do live on the radio every day. So please come on board and join me on 103 Daily, 3 to 5 Eastern, or like I said, on the app. The interview we have for you this week comes from, I guess about four or five weeks ago at this point, and like everything, it did air live on the radio, and it did make a lot of news when it aired live. It was a conversation with my good friend Sammy Hagar, who called in to promote his new album, Crazy Times, which we do talk about, but also, every time I talk to Sammy, we get into some interesting stuff, and 
he and I have a great connection and a great rapport and a great friendship. And he always opens up to me, and he really did this time on a couple of different things. I mean, there was some Van Halen stuff in here, and there's also was some stuff about Sammy and recently turning 75 and how and when he may decide to put a button on his career, which was very, very interesting and candid. And I think it's something that you definitely will want to check out. So without further ado, let's get to it this week. My conversation with a man that truly defies age at 75, still makes new music every couple of years, still tours, still has a ton of business interest, and still just a great regular dude. Here he is, Sammy Hagar, on this week's podcast. Good friend and uh, just turned 75. How the hell did that happen? But we're going to find out right now because he's joining us live. The one and only Red Rocker, Sammy Hagar. How are you, my friend? I'm laughing my ass off already just from the intro. But he turned 75. How the hell did that happen? Now, what's that supposed to mean, Eddie? Is, are you saying that I, I, you didn't think I was going to make it? Or, or are you saying like, or that I'm, I don't seem that old? I mean, this, that's a double-edged no. sword, brother. You, you swung at me no. right there. It is meant with the utmost respect and uh. bewilderment that you <laughs> can be 75 because I <laughs> hang with you and know you and I'm proud to call you a friend and i don't think of you as being i think of you as younger than me and i'm 58 i don't know how you do it man i don't either come on i wish you know everybody's always you know what's the secret man if i had some kind of a secret to that you know i'd write a book about it or i'd write at least a song about it but no you're gonna have to listen to father time from now on you know the new of the news new record which is basically my autobiography in in a, in a song and um, yeah, I don't know. Hey, listen, I'm happy. I'm I'm, I'm not uh, acting like I'm bummed out about it, but I'm with you. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm with you. I thought at 75, I didn't think I'd make a record when I was first starting in this business. I didn't think I'd make a record after I turned 50. I didn't think I'd be playing music after 50. It now I'm sitting here going, hey, geez, I don't know. I guess I'll keep going till I can. Well, you. you, know you you can keep going as long as you want, as long as you can keep doing it as well as you can do it, and you do it as well as you ever did. And I'm not just saying that to blow smoke, but I got to ask you something. Two questions along these lines of being keeping the, the young spirit and keeping you know the, the demeanor like you have and the, the positive outlook you've always had. Do you ever get stressed? I mean, I've never seen you uh, in, in all the years I've known you have been around you. Do you ever get like wound up or really stressed? Well, I don't know if I get really stressed, but I get wound up. You know, I'm I'm kind of hot-headed person. I'm sorry to say it. Um, I just found I just did my DNA. I did that uh, that show called Roots. You know, where they go really deep in your DNA, and I found out that I'm mostly Sicilian. Like you know, I'm like 38 percent, 42 percent Sicilian, not not just Italy, Sicilian. So you know, that, that's those pretty hot-headed. Uh, <laughs> those mobsters, you know what I mean? So I don't get stressed, though. You know, I do, but but I just, I really get angry. But I, I my gift is that I can get over things quick. Like, I don't take things on and on and on and back and forth, man. I grab the rope. Somebody pisses me off, you know, or fucks with me. And I grab the rope for a minute and get in a big yelling match or, you know, tell them what I think. And then, you know, I, I, once I, I go on to my next thing, I go, yeah, forget that, you know. I'm You know, it rubs off just, you know, goes away pretty quick. So I think that it helps as far as the stress factor goes, because stress will take you down, Eddie. I don't have to tell you that, right? 
Well, I'm well. Look, I'm half Italian, and I'm super high strung, and I am always stressed and and stressing on things. And yeah, it's really bad for you. And I'm trying to do better with it. Do you smoke a lot of weed now? No, I don't smoke weed at all anymore because it's not good for my throat. I found even when I was a young man, when I used to smoke weed, that I couldn't sing or tune a guitar when I was stoned. So I never ever played, you know, on stage stoned. Uh, and I, I mean, I tried a few times, in, in, like in Cabo or in, in Maui and stuff, you know, just sitting around the acoustic guitar and trying to sing. I can't do it stone, so I don't do it because anything that prevents me from being able to sing and perform at my best, uh, I don't do. And that's including drinking too much before a show. I drink during the show, so by the end of the show, sometimes I'm a little <laughs> bust, but, but it's time going, hey, one more song, we're done, we're okay. But, you know, Coke, any of, any of the drugs don't work for me as a singer. Um, you know, I'm, you can't sing on coke. I mean, co- coke heads, that, uh, that, that's the first thing that'll take your voice out. The second one is cigarettes or marijuana. I'm sorry. Some guys can smoke weed and sing, but I can't. So so I don't. But but I'm not talking about on stage. Like, And I'm with you on smoke. I never smoked cigarettes in my life, and I don't smoke anything because it bothers my voice, and I make my living yeah. talking. But, but, do, but do you ever, like... To unwind, will you ever pop an edible or anything? I'm just curious nah. about the stress factor. You, you don't, you nah. don't. Need, you'll do a little bit of your rum or one of yeah, your uh, cocktails, shot, and you're good. Shots of te- a couple of shots of tequila, or you know, I don't like to overdo that either because you know, if you're really stressed and if you get drunk, a guy like me, that's when you start making mistakes. That's when I start going. I'm calling him up right now. You know, <laughs> that, <laughs> that bottle you, gets you, gets you brave. You know, and then, then you start saying stupid shit, and the next thing you know, you're really into it. <laughs> But so no, I when I once once I start drinking, I shut the phone down and and you know I have a couple cocktails or something and I feel pretty good. You know, I'm uh, I don't know, I, I, I'm so grateful, Eddie. I'm now I'm going to get soulful for a second. At my age, I can say this stuff. I'm so grateful for what has happened to me in my life, all the experiences I've had, and all the success, and just the freedom I've had to do whatever I wanted, and and most of the time it worked out good in a successful way. Uh, it's hard to be stressed and it's hard to be pissed off about anything. And my wife and kids are the greatest because when they see me getting mad about something, you know, and I start saying, man, that, man, you know, man, that pisses me off. And they just go, stop it. <laughs> you know, you have nothing to be mad about. And I think, you know what? They're right. So, mm. you know, that, that it really helps to, as you get older, to really appreciate, you know, any of the, the gifts that you've been given. So I don't know. I'm getting a little bit soft in my old age with that stuff. I'm, you know, like I said, the song Father Time, when I wrote that, I, I, I had turned 70. And I after my birthday bash, which you've been to in Cabo, which we just had a, had one this year, um, I went, Car and I went straight to Hawaii to our house there because <clears throat> we were about to sell it. I was thinking about putting it up for sale because we didn't use it enough. And I'm sitting there by myself with the guitar, no clothes on, because we get to that property, just drop your drawers and, and start, you know, drinking coconut milk right out of the tree, off the tree, and eating bananas off the tree. So, you know, I, I was, all of a sudden I thought about how much time I've got left. For the first time in my life, at 70 years old, I said, you know, wow, what if I live to be 100? That would be great, right? I'm saying that's my goal. I said, but that's only tw- like 30 years from now. And I'm thinking about, Car and I have been together 30 years. And I'm going, that seems like yesterday. And I'm going, wow. And I looked at the other side, you know, the next part of my life, the next chapter. And uh, I, that, I picked up a guitar and wrote that song. And it was so emotional for me to write that song that 
because I had to really think like that long enough to finish a song. And it was almost like automatic writing. It just came out, I recorded it, I sent a, a, a little uh, recording off my iPhone, just me with an acoustic guitar singing that song to Mellencamp. I said, what do you think? Cause, and he goes, Sam, that song sounds like it's been around a long time. You know, like, in other words, that's, that's a classic already, you know. And that made me feel good. And, and then I never recorded it until I was, you know, 74 last year. I recorded it for for the uh, Crazy Times record. And, you know, Cobb didn't want to make it an acoustic thing. He wanted to make it a, a, a rock and roll thing. So, you know, let's make this a behind blue eyes rather than a an acoustic thing. And I said, you know, okay. So, you know, we did a whole kind of a rock version in the middle and everything. But I don't know, that song just kind of reminds me that, yeah, you know, man, it's all good. Man, you've got, you got it made. Enjoy the rest of your life, you know. If I never did anything else again, I could still be happy forever, you know, but but I but I can't do that, you know me. I'm I'm always got some problems. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. I mean, the fact that at 75 you're still releasing records every couple of years, touring like you do, your voice is as good as it still is. It's incredible. And I mean, that it's it, there's so many artists, Sammy, as you know, that are even younger than you that are like, "Now, nah, man, I'm just going to go out and play the hits. I'm not making new music. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not going to take the time, the effort, the money." You don't feel that way clearly. I mean, and and when you're making records this good, you, you shouldn't stop. But is it more? I mean, the commercial aspects of selling new music are very very difficult, especially for classic acts, as you know. So this, I imagine, making new music still for you is really more about exercising your muscle as a writer and just something creatively that you still want to do. And obviously, your hardcore fans want it. But trying to get it above and beyond that for all of these bands is really difficult. But that that's not what drives you, it doesn't seem like. No, it's not what drives me, no. Thank God for my entrepreneurial uh, success that I, I play music. I don't play music for business, for a living. So when I play music, it's like if I go do a show, it's because I want to go do a show. Because I say, hey, man, let's go out and play some shows. Like we'll go out and do 10 shows. Uh, we did 18 in a row, you know, this year with the George Thurgood thing, which is kind of the biggest, longest tour I've done in a while. I normally just go out and play a couple shows and come home and go out and play a couple shows every month, keep my band on payroll because it circles my favorite band in the world. And I don't think uh, I don't want to lose them, you know, so I have to get work enough to pay them and keep them, you know, to be able to support themselves. So I pay them extremely well, which... Uh, probably a lot more than what people would even imagine to keep them so that I don't have to work too hard. But my point is, is I go tour when I want to tour. I go play when I want to play. And when I feel like I've got a record in me, I'll go make a record. And this record, I was so horny to make this record because, you know, not being able to work or doing anything during the COVID years, it was like the bow and arrow, man. Like you just pulled that string back and I kept pulling it farther and farther, holding me, holding it back, holding it back. They wouldn't let it go. And then when I was able to go in the studio creativity was just pouring out of me. I've, I've never been so prolific and so excited to get up in the morning and go in the studio. I mean, since I was in my 20s, like in Montrose, you know, Montrose, I would have slept in the studio. I'm so happy to be in there making a record. And I would have stayed on tour for three years without ever coming home. I was so excited about it. So that kind of came back to me after that, that break. And it, it was so it was a real good year 
for creativity, and and I'm I'm so excited about this record just because it's so good. You know, it, like you said, there's no, it's not a business anymore. I mean, I probably lost two hundred thousand dollars. I financed the whole record. You know, hired the biggest producer in the world, David Cobb. I hired, and we used his studio, probably the most expensive place to work. You know, right there. Brought my whole crew, band, everybody to Nashville. I didn't have a record deal. I mean, I, I could have a record deal if I wanted one, but I wasn't prolific enough for making that many records. So I. You know, I just didn't sign a long-term deal. I signed a one every time I make a record anymore. I make a one-record deal because I don't want to be pushed and tell me, no, you have to do something. So uh, I didn't even have a record deal. I financed everything myself and then went and got a record deal. And, and uh, you know, it, my album came in, It's top was top five on the Billboard Top 100. It came in number six and then went to five. And I think I sold 27,000 records to date. In the old days, as you know, 80s in the 80s, if I would have sold 27,000 records, the first couple of weeks like that, I, I would have lost my record contract. <laughs> Probably like, wouldn't have charted. Yeah, you wouldn't have charted. Your record bomb, dude. Yeah. But it's it's just a different business today. So you're right. I, it's a labor of love, and, and I can support myself other ways, and it makes the music honest again. You know what I mean? It's not that it wasn't ever honest. It's just that in the old days, I wanted a hit. When I wrote Your Love's Drive Me Crazy, I'll Fall In Love Again, my record company saying we need a hit, we need a hit. I say, how about this? You know, I try, I try to be more commercial. I would try to, you know, simplify things, not be so heavy, heavy rock. You know, so I could get a little more airplay. And you know, I, I did that stuff. Hell yeah, I did. You know, like everybody else, I'd say, hey man, write a, write a song like that Eddie Money song. I said, okay. I listened to the song and I wrote, you're always driving me crazy. All right, went to number eleven. You know, it's that, that's kind of the way I would do it. And then I'd have a half the record would be you know, who I was and me making my statements and playing exactly the stuff I want to play. And half of it was attempted having hit records. I don't do that anymore. I mean, I, I, this, that's been a long while. Even in Van Halen, we didn't do that, you know. But since then, it's been a nice ride, and it's really been because of my entrepreneurial thing. So I don't have to worry about money. I don't have to tour. I tour because I want to. You know, right. how would you feel, Eddie, if you woke up and said, man, I just don't feel like doing this tonight. You know, and you've got to walk out on stage in front of 10,000 people and perform for a couple hours. Man, if you didn't want to feel like doing that, that would be like punching the clock. And right. rock bands can't do that. Some do, but I can't. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I want to ask you a couple other things on the record. So you mentioned Dave Cobb. I was telling my audience Dave Cobb's one of the most uh, respected producers out there. And I just had Slash on this show a couple weeks ago, and he did the last Slash record. And I was talking to Slash about working with Cobb because Cobb is known for doing things in a really old school way and that he basically records totally live to the point that sometimes you don't even get to go in and clean up a, a little glitch here or there. He wants it live off the floor. What was the experience like? You've been making records for over 50 years. What was the experience like working with Dave Cobb? Because this is the first time you did it, to my knowledge. And there's some people that really like, in retrospect, the way he works. And then there's others that say, well, I don't know if I do it like that again. What are your thoughts? Oh, I would, it's the only way I would ever do it. I couldn't see working with anybody but David Cobb. He, the way he got things out of me was so beautiful, seeing how he orchestrated it without any pressure, without any argument it was just so natural he just would go come on man uh give me that you know be montrose be, be in montrose again just just for five minutes the song's four minutes and 59 seconds long for five minutes go back and give it everything you got that's all he would say things like that. and you're sitting there going wow 
my pleasure. You know what I mean? It's like, wow. And then you would sing. Uh, we would take, the whole band was playing, and I sing live on everything but about three tracks. Three tracks I had to go and do the vocals. Number one, because I didn't have lyrics yet, because we wrote songs in the studio for two of the songs, and the third one was Pump It Up, uh, the Elvis Costello song, because I didn't know the lyrics, so I had to download them, and we were just jamming it, and I was making stuff up, you know, you know, just yelling crap. And then I realized, oh, Cobb's going, this is really good. We should put it on the album. And I'm going, you've got to be kidding. I thought we were just warming up. And he goes, no, listen. And I heard it, and I said, okay. And I, so I went in to do the vocals on that. But but other than that, I sang live. And he would take 15, 20, 30 takes of the band. We'd play for three hours the same song over and over. Sometimes he'd say, oh, let's just do the bridge. We need a better bridge. That bridge wasn't good enough. And he would just say, okay, take one, take the bridge from take three, take, and, 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 boom, put it together and go, you got a track. And, I, and I'd listen to the vocals, and he'd go, huh? I'd say, I, I can't sing any better than that. Singing with the band, every any singer will tell you, <clears throat> when you're out there in the middle of a room, and the band's already done their trip, and they're gone, and you're sitting there with a bunch of people in the studio gawking at you and doing your vocal takes, that man, that's hard to sing that way. I've always sing live with Van Halen, with Montrose, with Chickenfoot. But when I did my solo records, I usually didn't sing live because I did all the guitars myself. I didn't play guitar on this record, not one note. I I played the songs to Dave, showed him my parts, and he played my parts so I could just sing and concentrate because he was saying, "I want to hear that. I want to hear that that voice of yours. I want you to push everything in there. I want you to be thinking about the chord changes. Just sing." And man. And he said, I want the definitive Sammy Hagar record. I want to hear Montrose. I want to hear Van Halen. And I want to hear Standing Hampton. I want to hear, you know, the VOA stuff, you know, the way your voice sounded in that. He goes, I want you to sing that way. So one of the songs called Slow Drain, the opening kind of full track, the opening full track, it's number two, but it's, it's there's a little short thing in the beginning. Uh, Slow Drain we wrote in the studio. It's the last song we wrote. So I had to write some lyrics, and I came back the next day to sing it. He made me sing it until my voice was gone. I, I blew my voice out. I never blow my voice out if I'm not sick. You know, if I'm sick, I blow my voice out. But, but anyway, I was healthy as can be. I was in shape because I've been singing for a couple of weeks. And I, he said, give me just one more. I said, Dave, I ain't got no more, man. I said, and he's going, no, no, no. Come on. You got it. We got it. He said, this is great. You know, I can put together the greatest vocal you've ever done right here. He goes, just give me one more. Just go for it. Don't even think about it. Like, go off key. You know, like, I, I don't want you to ever be able to sing again kind of thing. And I went in and did it. And, and it ended up being the last take, the one that he pushed me to do. If you listen to the vocal mm. on that song, I, I, I'm screaming that one line. And, you know, ah, you know, because I, I couldn't sing the line, so I had to scream it. And... It's my favorite vocal. Well, my second favorite vocal. My father time, without a doubt, all the way around. It's my favorite song, my favorite vocal on the record. But Slow Drain's a motherfucker. <laughs> well, yeah, that's essentially the opening track on the record. But there, And there's one other song, because I, I don't know how much time you have, but Hannah told me you, you only had a certain amount. But I, So you just tell me if you got to go. But there, there's one there's one other song on the record. You, you mentioned Father Time and how personal that is to you, but there's a song on this record that really, really connected with me that I really thought was amazing. Um, and that's called, that's a song called be still. I think that song's unbelievable. And that song really connected with me on some level and listening to it. I really, really, uh, you know, I thought it was, I thought it was brilliant. Tell me about that song. 
I'm so glad you like that song because that's the, to me, that's the sleeper track. You know, that's yeah. the Be, Be Still and Father Time are the same kind of songs. They're, yes. They could be country, they're soulful, they're Americana. And that's the kind of record I really wanted to make. This guy named Tambo, who works for Kenny Chesney, and he writes songs for a lot of country artists. He's a dear friend. I met him through Kenny, and, and he's keeps pushing me, wants to write a song with me, wants to write a song with me, and I'm going, send me some lyrics, you know. So he sends me these lyrics, and it was Be Still. And I sat down with with a guitar, and I wrote that one time through. I just sang those lyrics, reading them, because it was so from the heart. I mean, I still like to write a good song, still like a little buzz, still like my music a bit too loud, and still do things because... I'm still my mother's son, so proud of my father's last name. Oh, come on. Still well, I'm amazed to hear this, though, young. because this when I heard that song, knowing you, I was like, man, this is so Sammy, and this is so coming from the heart, but I'm blown away right now to find out you didn't write those lyrics? I That's not your... We wow. We that song together. I didn't write one word. I just chose... He had about 10 verses, and I chose the top four that I liked, and I got to tell you, that song almost chokes me up when I sing it. It's it's right up there with, you know, Eagles Fly and, you know, Get yes. Live. You know, it's just, God, it's so good. Uh, and it's it's almost too country for rock stations, but it's it's a good enough song where I think it should get exposure. But, you know, I'm not, I, I, I don't really know what's what happens in radio with my music, like you said, you know, other than people like you that still play real music. Uh, you know, it's it's all too formatted to have a song that really crosses over and gets played on all formats and becomes a massive media hit, you know, unless it's in a movie or something. Uh, but I love that song. I'm so glad you did that song. That it really surprises me. I thought you were going to, you know, say something like, you know, Crazy Times or, or one of my other favorite songs is the last track is, you know, the uh, uh, Childhood's Childhood's End. End is, right. Yeah, that's my epic piece. That's my stairway to heaven on this record, you know. But, man, yeah, be still. It's so good. And, and, and the reason those lyrics sound like they're mine, that's why I chose them. When he sent them to me, I said, man, this is something straight from my heart. You know, I can sing this. And, and uh, yeah, great, 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 great. I love it. Outside, Sammy, outside of doing covers, like obviously you did an Elvis Costello song on here, Pump It Up, but outside of doing covers throughout all your years of making records, have you ever done a song where you didn't write the lyrics and somebody else in the in the band or an outside writer did of an original no, song? No, no, I've never I've never wrote the music and someone else wrote the lyrics. No, I, I did a Christmas song one time with a friend of mine's wife. She was a country artist. And she wanted to write a Christmas song, and she had these really cool Christmas lyrics. I don't even remember um, what what it was, but I wrote the music for her. Uh, and I don't even know if it ever got recorded. But no, in general, um, I always write the lyrics. I, I wrote a couple songs with Jesse Harms back in the, uh, the, the the early Wabo days, where Jesse got credit for the songs because he mostly wrote the music and maybe some of the lyrics, like Both Sides Now, he wrote the chorus to that. You got to learn how to listen before you talk. You got to learn how to crawl before you walk. You got to do this and do that. That was his part, and I, I wrote the verses. <clears throat> so I have co-written lyrics a few times, but just very, very seldom. I've always been the lyricist, you know. Yeah. Well, listen, man. The record's incredible, and uh, it's out now. And it's just—it's amazing that at this point in your career, you're still making music like this with the circle. Of course, we want to give a shout out to, of course, Michael Anthony, Jason Bonham, Vic Johnson, just tremendous. 
band that you have there. And uh, again, everybody, the record is out now. Sammy Hagar and the Circle, Crazy Times is the name of it. Um, before I let you go, what's the future as far as touring is concerned? I mean, I know you're always out there doing some shows here and there, but we're already kind of winding down this year. What are you looking at, you know, going forward? You know, uh, I really don't know. I, I'm Next year, I'm going to try to take as much of the year off as I can. And I know fans ain't going to like to hear this, but I think I need a break to reboot and figure out what I want to do. Because um, just like what you said, this record... It surprised me that it, that I made a record like this at this time in my life. I can tell you right now, I'm, I'm shocked myself when I listen to it. I go, damn, this might be the best record I've ever made, lyrically, vocally, musically, everything about it. And um, I'm thinking, well, what are you going to do now? I certainly wouldn't go right back in the studio and try to top this damn thing. Um, and to go out and tour all next year, uh, I don't know. I have to think about that. You know, I'm, I I don't know how many more shows I got in me. To be on, be honest, you know, uh, I know eventually I'm going to be going. Well, man, I, that was hard. <laughs> you know, I'm, and it, it's I don't want to hit that. I don't want to work too hard and, and and find out that I overdid it. I'd rather stretch out. If I have 50 more shows in me, I'd rather stretch those 50 shows out for as many years as I can, rather than try to put them in one more year. That's if that makes sense to anybody. That's the way I have to think nowadays. You know, at my age, uh, I'm I'm shocked too that I can still do all this, and then I'm not <laughs> feeling the pain, and then I can still gut walk out and stage and run around and do all this stuff. And, and I'm going, ah, but there's gonna something's gotta happen. You know, I gotta wake up one morning and go, what? I can't do it today. You know, I, I don't know. I hope not, but you know, I, I gotta think like that. I I just keep watching Mick. You know, my man Mick. And so yeah. as long as Mick Jagger's out there doing it, he's got a few years on me. And uh, he's amazing. He's amazing. No one's... McCartney, amazing. too. McCartney, too. Yeah. Yeah, but McCartney, he doesn't run around. He pushes his voice, but I mean, but he doesn't perform, you know. I mean, he, he just goes out and kills him songs, you know. But but Mick, man, he's performing, dude. And that's and I'm a performer. You know, Steven Tyler's a performer. You know, we're... Tyler. We're those kind of... Yeah, we're, Tyler's we're, the same age. I just saw Aerosmith twice a, a few weeks ago in Vegas, and he's the same age as you. And what he does is simply insane for I, his age I as agree. well. I yeah. agree. I saw your Instagram post. You know, I follow you, of course. And he is. He's him, Mick. You know, those guys. I got to look at him and go, well, I guess if they can keep doing it, well, then I'll keep doing it. You know, I can keep doing it. But. <laughs> uh, Something's got to go eventually. I mean, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe it'll be like John Lee Hooker. Maybe, you know, I'll be on stage when I'm 80. I hope so. But are you are you wired, like, when you're done, are you just going to kind of quietly drift away and go to Cabo or whatever and people aren't going to hear from you? Or do you envision doing a big send-off, like, farewell show tour, tour sort of deal? Like, where, how would you like to do it? Eddie, I love this question. I've been waiting for this question. You are the man for asking this question. You know, I've thought about it long and hard, and that's one of the reasons why I don't want to to go out and tour too much next year, because it could be the last one, and I don't really know. So my thing is I would never, I'm saying never say never. Well, right now I'm going to say I will never announce a farewell tour. Go do it, a big, long tour, and then keep going and keep going like all these other people do. It makes me sick to see that. I'd rather not say nothing and just, when I did my last show, it's my last show, I might say it then, but I'd rather not make no pre-announcement in case I want to keep going. So 
I uh, I don't know. That's I'm so glad you asked that question. Though. That's that's been on my mind real hard. How do you go out? Do you just go away? Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm too public of a figure, and I have too many um, businesses and things to where I can't just go away. Somebody's going to catch me somewhere, you know, and they're going to say, what are you doing? <laughs> and so I, I, it seems like I almost have to make an announcement, but I'm not solid with that yet, and, I, and it's not time yet, but I am thinking that way. How in the hell am I going to – how am I going to do it when it's time? And I don't know. I'd rather mm-hmm. just say one show, you know what, that's the last show. I'm done. Uh, I can't do it anymore. I'd rather just say that, you know. Right now, that's you're what, not going to do the farewell to our money grab thing, though. No, no. Right. And the day I do something just strictly for money at this stage in my life, you can call me a greedy piece of shit because, <laughs> you know, I do not need money, and it's not why I do things. And I'm I'm happy to. I mean, I don't blame some people for doing things for money. You have to, you know, you got to make a living for God's sakes. But I don't have to. So at this stage in my life, no, no, no money grabs. All right, last thing, and I'll let you go. And you know, I got to ask you this: anything on the Van Halen front, as far as you know? As far as I know, nothing. There was that talk, you know, when everybody heard about, you know, <laughs> uh, Jason being the the bass player, and and uh, I don't know, you know what I mean? All the Joe Satriani playing guitar, and Alex, and all that. And then I got the call from um, from. Uh, the management, I got to call from Irving Azoff, said, hey, you know, you want to do you and Al and, and the superstar, you and Mike and, and Al. And I said, with a superstar guitar player, I said, I'll do anything with Al and, and Mike and, you know, play music with people, but it's not going to be Van Halen. There is no Van Halen. I don't care what anyone says. Wolfie is Van Halen, okay? And he doesn't want to be the Van Halen copy band, which is who I don't blame him. He's doing a great job on his own stuff, and it's very cool when he jams a little bit here and there. But, you know, he he's... He's Van Halen, and if he wanted to play guitar and with Al and Mikey and myself, I would love to do that. That would be just one time for the big time, not like, okay, let's start, you know, go out and tour the world and make records. And No, 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 no. Uh, there is no Van Halen, but uh, to play with Al and Mike and, and a great guitar player and for some event, you know, like almost like the um, – the event that Dave Grohl put on, you know, for Taylor, uh, something right. like that would be fantastic. But other than that, no. There's why no. do you think that, why do you think, I mean, Wolf alluded to this in an interview with Rolling Stone and honestly, without saying it, kind of said, put a lot of it on Roth as to why they cannot get a tribute to Eddie together, especially when Grohl put one together in two different countries months after he died. And Wolf, Wolf said, he said in the interview you don't know of the level of dysfunction in, in Van Halen. But, okay, all that is a given, and you probably know about that better than anybody else, but what I and other fans can't understand is why can't you, whatever Roth, he comes to the party, he doesn't, whatever. Why can't you, Alex, Wolf, Michael, go ahead and say, we're going to go rent the form one night, we're going to get a bunch of great guitar players, we're going to have a big send-off to Eddie. Where are the obstacles and everyone else doing it? I don't quite understand it. You can't, nobody could tell me Roth controls the whole thing. There's no way. No, no. It just would be lame for him not to be involved. And he but would put never- it on him. If he doesn't show up, let him answer those questions. Like, don't let's let let's not let the whole thing sit for five years just because of one guy can't be wrangled. Put the you well, do it. it the guy. pressure's going to be on Van him. Han- Alex Van Halen and I don't talk. I reached out to Alex. I'm going to tell you right now. I reached out to Alex again recently. Uh, Mikey had a, a, a sad thing happen with his family, and I reached out to Al, 
and uh, he wouldn't return my call or my email. And so I said, you know what? I'm, fuck it. <laughs> you know, I, it's not it's not on the top of my list, my agenda. I think Eddie deserves uh, a, definitely a tribute. And what Dave Grohl did for Taylor was one of the greatest events I've ever seen in my life. Yes. What happened in, in, in England, in London? That was the most amazing. That made Live Aid look like kid stuff, you know, from back in the old days. And uh, that was amazing. And Eddie deserves something like that. And, and the whole world would show up and the whole world would do it. Uh, I don't know why people put it on Roth, but, you know, he, he's – he's. I, I don't talk to Dave. And he, if he did it, he'd want to do it without me. I'm sure if that's part of the dysfunction that, that Wolfie's talking about, I'll make a statement that I don't know is true or not. But what do you want to bet that he goes, I will only do it with, if, if Hagar's not there? And if that were the case, then that's typical Roth, and that's part of the dysfunction. It, it's not like he controls it. It's just like he's just not – he doesn't play well with others. And uh, and like I said, if Alex came to me and wanted to do it, I'm in. Absolutely. Let's go. Uh, do it somehow. But Alex and I uh, – Alex has got to stick up his ass about something with me still, and he's he's going to take it to his grave, I guess, you know. Um, so Which is odd because you made the peace with Eddie before he died. Totally. And I don't think that uh, – I don't think I made peace with Alan. I don't think I'm going to unless he reaches that back out to me. I've done it about five times now. But I'm not trying to start a feud between the two of us. But I love the guy. And I love, you know, what Van Halen, what we did together. When I see some of them old videos recently, uh, someone was playing. And when I was for my birthday bash down there, they were playing a lot of it on the big screen up there. And, you know, I'd see us in 5150 doing best of both worlds. You just go, that's one of the greatest, most beautiful high energy rock bands ever in the history on this planet right there and you know it just breaks my heart that uh, that you know it's it'll, it'll never be again but uh that's okay but the tribute should happen and i know wolf would probably do a great job of it but it's not really his responsibility either to try to wrangle up these people he's he's out trying to you know start a career right and he's done a, he's done a great job I mean, a great job, and I don't blame him for, like I said, not wanting to be his dad and play all the old songs with with his uncle and and a couple uh, <laughs> and Mikey and a couple old singers. You know, yeah, why would he want to do that? Nah, he don't want to do that. One time for the big time, like you said, just one time for the big time. And if Wolfie played guitar all night, that would be plenty. Yeah, but, well, we can only hope somehow it happens. And I do, th- I do agree with you. Alex has to take the lead on this, and. Whatever yeah. the issue is with you, I mean, it's just it it does. You know, it's interesting when I've talked to Wolf about it. He he's actually now deferred to Alex. He's like, you know, everybody's talk to my uncle. He's and understandably, Wolf's worried about his own career. He's making a record. He's on tour. I get it. Yeah. But uh, at the same token, you know, it's hard. I don't know Alex at all, and I've never uh, beyond a quick meeting here or there over the decades. I don't know him, so I don't I don't know how he's wired, but. The interesting thing is, the, the interesting is thing the is, most stubborn Torres is a Torres, and he's the most stubborn. You know, Torres, Torres are known for stubborn. He's a Dutch Torres, and he is the most stubborn, hard-headed guy you'll ever meet in your life. And he is tough to get broke down and to like let go. He he just nope. He's holding on to something. And, uh, you know, I, I just wish he wasn't like that. He's, he's, uh, I love the guy. Like I've said it a million times, Alex and I actually got along better than Ed and I at times, you know, we, through the hard times, Alex and I still got along. And 
it just but i don't know what i don't know what happened you know somebody poisoned him somebody told him something maybe maybe you know he still doesn't like my book which was the most honest the honest thing i've ever done in my life and and um, you know some people just you know don't think that that should have been done you know i guess i don't know just, well, we know it. We know at one point else. they wanted to do it. We know at one point they wanted to do it. We know yeah. that it came well, out between Eddie was calling Satch and, and Eddie everyone. Wanted to do it. Eddie wanted no, no, to do no, it. no, no. After Eddie died, the whole thing with with uh, Satriani and Newstead and you and Michael and all that. I mean, we knew there there was there was motion for it. Irving Azoff putting it in motion. I've said that to my audience. Irving Azoff could keep the can wrangle the Eagles. How the hell can he Thank not you. get this together? <laughs> well, he wrangled it. He wrangled it with me and and my manager and Mike, and then um, said Al's not ready, and that was a quote. But listen, that wasn't a tribute. That was a going to Vegas. I mean, that wasn't a tribute to Eddie. That was going to Vegas and being a tribute to Van Halen's music, and that was the, the idea of that, like doing a residency type thing. And uh. you know, and I didn't agree to it to begin with. I said, oh, you know, a couple nights or something, sure, but I'm not going to spend, you know couple months in Las Vegas doing a residency with, as Van Halen unless Dave is going to do it and cooperate because it's just it's just like him trying to do it without me it's just unfair we sold 46 million records you know with, with the Van Hagar era and you know I and they sold you know another 46,000 whatever they sold uh 46 million records and you can't you can't do it one just one one version. It's stupid. It's embarrassing to, for me to go out and just do one version. I mean, we even with the circle, as you well know, Mikey sings ain't talking about love or running with the That's devil, great. unchained once in a while. Just because I'm saying, look, it's all there is is us out there doing it, you know, and just like Wolfie going up and playing, you know, hot for teacher and stuff. I mean, it's like you, you know, you gotta, you gotta uh, give a little love to the whole thing now. You know, you can't uh, without Eddie. It's it's not just one side or the other, you know. I'll sing. My yeah, song. I told you that. I think song. it's great. I think it's great that Michael's doing that and that moment in the show. And look, you talked about whenever you may or may not end. When you end, that's it because you're the last guy that's doing the the Hagar era stuff. I mean, hearing all those great songs, I tell my audience the only the only way you're ever going to hear them is go see Sammy live because you you you're doing a good amount of them and you should and and thank God you are because when you're done. That's it. Yeah, it's really, I'm thinking about what set I will do. It's so funny. We're going on and on now because you're getting going on the stuff that's I'm thinking about. See, the other stuff or stuff that we, you would think that was planned for the interview. Now we're talking. Now we're discussing what's going on in my brain, what's going on in your brain, the real questions to be asked to ourselves. And the truth of the matter is, is like, yeah, like how am I going to go out and play most of my new record and 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 play as many Van Halen records, Van Halen songs as I want, and play my old hits from my old catalog, and throw a Chicken Foot song in there, and get a Montrose song or two. See, I'm gonna have to play for three hours or, or, or something. <laughs> I, I, I got to figure this one out. You got you got me stumped. Okay, not stump, not stump Trump, <laughs> not stump trunk. We're gonna stump Sammy on this one. Nah. Thank you. Intermission. Thank you. Sammy, the word is intermission. You do an hour, take a break, go back, have a little have a little beach bar cocktail, take a breather, put up some videos on the screen, let everybody go get a drink, and then you come back. It's just like, you know, you just take an intermission, take a break. Yeah, okay. That's the way I have sex, but I don't know if I can play music that way. You know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
All right, Ed. Love you, brother. <laughs> on that Good note, question. love you too, man. Great to talk to you, and congrats <laughs> on the record. Crazy Times, it's out now. Sammy Hagar in the circle. Uh, just just awesome, man. So 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 good, and congrats on making such a great record. And I can't wait to see you soon, wherever it may be. Thank you, Eddie. Bye-bye. All right, man. All Take right. care. Well, when I get asked the question, as I often do, who are my favorite people in my career to have interviewed, Sammy is a guy that immediately comes to mind along with Michael Anthony, who happens to be in the same band with him, of course, just regular dudes that are just completely transparent, completely honest, completely open, and you just heard a little bit of that with Sammy Hagar in that interview. Again, that interview took place on my radio show, Trunk Nation, aired about, uh, I don't know, three or four weeks ago, made a lot of news when it did, and as I told you at the top, and I tell you every podcast, if you're in the U.S. or Canada, please join me every day on the radio. For Trunk Nation, that's my radio show where all this stuff that you hear comes from. It airs live Monday through Friday, 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Faction Talk, Sirius XM Channel 103. And you can grab anything you want, anytime you want on the Sirius XM app. There's also a sixth show on Sirius XM with music in it on Mondays, 5 to 8 Eastern on Hair Nation. And a terrestrial radio show. So a bunch of broadcasts for you to check out, especially if you are a SiriusXM subscriber or come on board with us. Please be sure to also follow me on social media at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook page. That's where you'll get all the updates on everything happening in my world. Hope to see you guys out there and about soon if you are in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I'll see you this coming Saturday at Epic Events Center, hosting a charity performance with the band Jackal. Should be a lot of fun Thanksgiving weekend. And if uh, you're listening to this on post day, it is Thanksgiving in the U.S. So a very happy Thanksgiving to everybody celebrating. Have a great one, everybody. Catch you next Thursday for another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast and hopefully on Trunk Nation on Sirius XM. Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. One. Two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.